0: welcome to episode seven of the full metal rpg podcast it is our inaugural mailbag episode it is hope it's uh, not our last, because I, I have a lot of anticipation for this. I'm one of your hosts, Ben. And
1: I'm Brendan. Today we are joined by the uh, often imitated, never replicated, mysterious, and elusive Jeff.
0: Welcome back, Jeff.
2: Greetings and salutations. <laughs> uh,
0: as usual, we're going to start off, I think, with our uh, recap of what happened in our last session of uh, Out of the Abyss, our Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign. Sounds good. Yeah. So
1: that was a pretty crazy episode. I mean like the, the session we did on Sunday was like sort of a trip. It was like it was uh it was pretty intense. I um went into it with like what I consider to be like pretty few notes. And um because the the party has just had just gotten to Slubu After having encountered like some Toa and traversing the uh Underdark wastes they had just they had just arrived at Slubudop, and they were part of this like, like kind of cockamamie plan by this uh, archpriest whose name I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even say his name because it's like so um, like, g- snicker-inducing. That I mean, and, and that was really working against like the horror feel I had in my in my. That I try, I'm really trying to purvey in out of the abyss, and like, everybody kept like snickering every time I said because what was his name? It was like I'll, I'll say it. It was it's Pluplupine, right? Pluplupine, yeah. Plu pl- Plu right? Slubudop yeah insulubidop so i mean they're trying to do this kind of like you know i think i think uh, alexander called it like right away when he was um like when you guys were heading towards when you guys first met the uh Kuitoa people he's like oh this is a lot like Innsmouth or something right like yeah. he said that like a yeah. couple couple weeks ago and it was a lot like that it was the, that was that's the kind of flavor that this episode was going for but um
2: well, i think Innsmouth has more i mean the the Kuitoa here feel more just like backwoods almost or as opposed to the endsmith would have that sort of like weird decaying feel to them
0: hmm I don't know like I could see I could see both both sides on that I think um while their names are often goofy seeming which you know okay whatever um, that doesn't necessarily it didn't override the horror that was present in this game
1: well, I mean, the, we reached a tipping point because at first you guys got into the town and everything's kind of silly and wacky, and I could see a lot of smirks on people's faces. People were kind of like, "Oh, the little fish guys!" Oh, there's a, the little fish people or like lamers, you know. But then once you got into the temple, then things started. People, the the, the smiles started to disappear like pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, um, we had this sort of scheme in which we were going to pretend to be prisoners. That were offered up as a sacrifice to the rising god of the uh, of the uh, Kuatoa, the deep father, um, in sort of a weird move to bridge the schism that had been happening in uh, Kuatoa society in Um You know, I think uh, some of us were in it for rewards, others of us were in it for uh, you know other reasons. Uh, most notably, I was in it; my character was in it to uh, eliminate. Um, some Kuatoa who he did not like.
1: Yeah, you were there to kill some. You are kill some fuckers up.
0: Yes, I, that's why that was that was my uh, that was my goal was to uh, murder a lot of Kuatoa.
2: You know, and but I think some of us also were looking at it just doing it as it was a step on the road to uh, Manantl Dareth, and if that meant some Kuatoa had to die in the process, none of us was going to be shedding a tear over some dead fish people.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, we we'd gotten the offers of like free passage for doing this too, not just like trinkets or whatever, but also free passage.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then you, you got into you got into town, and um, this uh, fish guy is like, "Oh, hey, come pretend to be prisoners in this temple." And you guys kind of went along with that. And there were some definitely some like checks and stuff to make sure that like he was doing everything above board. And you guys pretended to be his prisoners. At which point, Jeff's character Baracus, the Tiefling Warlock, had a uh, like a strange
0: vision, like a strange premonition. Yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you talk about that uh, vision that you had there, Jeff?
2: Well, uh, of course, Baracus is still not sure whether his vision is a true vision or um, if he's possibly slipping into the same. Fungal madness that has afflicted some of the other party members that previously. Um, part of Brox's motivations on this are looking for and lost library of forgotten and hidden lore and uh, with a certain Lovecraftian overtone of secrets that mankind is not meant to know.
0: Sure, you're like a really occult bent character, so it makes total sense. Yeah.
2: And, uh, specifically looking for lore to breach the gates of hell, releasing his father from his uh, internment there. Uh, being, now, now as,
0: a, as a warlock, is your father also your uh, patron?
2: In, in this case, Brendan's let me write it up that my my father's also my patron. Okay. Explaining both my warlock and tiefling oh, heritage. Cool. And yeah, it works for me. So having a dream of this library and an illithid who is also searching for this library, which of course is mildly off-putting as well. Sure. Um, given on top also that the, the dream Barack has had is that he's back in the jail in, or the, the slave pens that we just escaped from, along with characters that have died on the road to uh, Sloobadoob. Uh, so he's definitely right now questioning whether or not this is a true vision of the path he needs to lead or whether he is, uh, has been infected by the fungal spores in the fungal fields that we just went through a few days previously. And definitely he'll be searching out uh, Kale to discuss Kale's visions of the fungal to see if they match with his vision or if it's something radically different and maybe something that can be trusted.
0: Interesting. And what, what, what if you come to the conclusion that it is something radically different?
2: Uh, then, it, then it leads him down. A, it looks as though it's a step on the path, and it, it confirms that he needs to get to Mount Alderith in order to find the next breadcrumb, as it were, on the way to the library. And we'll probably also start working towards enlisting the rest of the party and joining him in the search for this library.
0: I gotta say that if, uh, as more information is made known to my character, he would happily join you in
2: your quest. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there's really only so much I can say about that. But, um, and so I won't. But, uh, so then you guys, you, you guys awoke from having a rest or whatever, and, uh, it was time to go to this temple where you, the whole, um, concept was that you were supposed to be offered up as, uh, um, Sacrifices to this new uh god of the Kuotoa that they call the Deep Father, but who's who who their the, their name for for him is Limugugun. So I mean to sort of like give the listeners kind of like some background into like what we were we were over at we were over at Alex's house and and uh, his girlfriend was like in the other room. And she'd never been around people like gaming before. So we're like, we're in the kitchen area because Alex has this amazing kitchen table. It's just, I mean, it's a fantastic kitchen table for gaming. It's so nice. It's just so, it's so big and like very plush. Great, great wood, you know, oh Anyway, I could go on. I could go on about the damn table. But like, I mean, I just, it just felt so, so luxurious. Like it's spread out. Anyway, it's perfect gaming table. And his girlfriend's sitting in the other room listening to us play. And it's supposed to be this, like, really big cult scene. And I have to keep – I keep standing up behind the screen like I am – like prone to do and i get really excited and i keep like waving my hands in the air to like portray stupid cultists yelling limo gugoon Lima Goon i mean it was just like it had to have been it had to have been very bad for her and in retrospect i was just like i was like oh, oh god oh jesus like these this is one of those this is one of those gaming moments that i, I i'm not probably not gonna like cherish in my heart forever
2: <laughs> it was definitely a good good moment good plan unfortunately our uh Paladin. Apparently, the fish stew we had the night before did yeah. not agree with him, and he was not present to help us in the fruition of the plan.
1: Yeah, Kay, You know, Dustin, who's playing Kale, had to uh, take the day off to to um, do some husband duties, and and uh, you know, and that's and that's that's part that that comes with it. We're all older guys now; we all have other other things to do. So, so they were without a they were with a without a Paladin that will sort of like come into play with what happened later on. So, as you guys were entering the temple of Limagugun. Like, um, very quickly
0: it sort of became, uh, apparent that this was not a god of the Kuotoa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, a couple of us, uh, started realizing quite quickly that, um, there was something else happening here, and, uh, I think it was my character who was able to realize that what they were calling Limogugun was actually Demogorgon, uh, giant demon. Yeah, right,
1: um... It, you you guys kind of did some checks, and the, the the architecture of that building was like not anything close to what um, the Kuatoa were seemed capable of.
0: Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that like the architecture in up was kind of different in general because you had like the sort of like Kuatoa shanty town, which sort of like built up around like, buildings from bygone eras that had, like, sunk from the surface or been excavated. I mean, that added sort of a coolness to the scene that I thought was pretty pretty awesome.
1: Well, I mean, there that's in, like, a number of different uh, Forgotten Realm supplements, this idea of, like, the kind of, like, swallowed up civilizations that you can encounter in the um, Underdark. And so I was kind of enjoying playing with that because uh, I think it gives kind of, like, an interesting sort of, like, with... Uh, with for lack of better word, kinda of like gothic feel, you know, these kind of like the the, the ruins and like being occupied by uh, cultures that don't understand them. Because they're they're in their ancientness. And so it became pretty apparent that this was like a like an abyssal temple and then as you guys crossed the threshold into the main sacrificial area you found that it was in fact a temple to Demogorgon. And
2: And I think your description of that really led to the, the kind of decayed grandeur of the place that's oh, sort of it did, like,
1: did, did it work out yeah oh definitely
2: yeah and it, it was very evocative of sort of this that the the crew toa there are almost just there as sort of the parasites crawling over the decaying corpse of some far more ancient civilization and really led to the worry of all right, what have these idiots found? And Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, I think in typical kind of D&D style, and this is one of the things I like about Out of the Abyss is it takes a kind of, like, different take on the D&D, uh, like, typical adventure path, is in... I think somebody was like, "Oh, well, they're." I think maybe even you. I think it might have been ben, and he was like, and "He was like, well, I mean, they're trying to bring out Demogorgon, but of course they're gonna fuck it up and say something that's not de- Demogorgon or whatever, right?" Because, uh, and I can totally see where a person might be expecting like, "Oh, well, this is clearly like a boss encounter or whatever,"
0: but it's not like Demogorgon isn't gonna actually show up. I don't know that I thought they would. Sc- they would. They would screw it up. I just thought that. Um I I think I made that remark before I knew that it was Demogorgon they were going after. I was like, who knows what the, f- the hell they're going to summon at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but when I realized it was Demogorgon, I I was I was a little like uh, worried.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I I okay. So a little bit of background. I had uh, sort of deviated from the um, as written plot in the in the book, um, and. I re- the first thing I started with was like I completely redrew the map to Salubu Dot because the map and I, I feel like I keep on bagging on the maps in the in the book. I mean they're fine. Uh, I just have you know two weeks between games and so it gives me plenty of time to sort of rethink how these maps are composed and this so you're posting
0: that map too that you drew right
1: i haven't posted it yet because like right now on the insta page it's like a lot of black and white and i kind of want to have some more color on there my my personal insta is entirely entirely black and white and i just didn't want people to i I don't know why anybody would think this but i didn't want anybody to think like oh well uh brendan's going all black and white on the fmrpg insta and it's like no that's not that's not it at all um so those will be up. People will be able to see them. In fact, you'll probably, if, if, if you're a dedicated IG follower, you probably have seen them, like, far long long before you see this, or you hear this. But um, I decided to redraw Slibu Dot because, to me, it wasn't... To my eye, it wasn't complex enough. And I wanted, especially when I showed the map to the players, for it to be more engaging, and for it to to look like a um, an environment in which there's, like, multiple levels of activity. On some level, I kind of wanted to think, like, oh, well, is this map good enough that I could flesh it out a little bit more and run it as sort of, like, if, if, if like, say the party just wanted to stay in Sloopadop, right? Could they do it? Like, right? could we continue to run games just out of there? And I was like, well, sure. Once I had redrawn it, it was complex enough that I could just go with, go in there and start adding in, well, this is where the tavern is, and this is where the armorer guy is, and this is where the stinky fisher guy is. And then we, and then we could, have, could create plenty of hooks for it. Um, and I don't know that the first map, the map that they give you in the module, was um, suitable for that type of adventuring. Um, I but I certainly
2: felt like the map that you drew was a nice, complex map and lent a very real, solid feel to the town in in a way i was kind of disappointed that we had because of the way we were doing this in the adventure that we didn't get a more of a chance to kind of explore the town and yeah man but there was just really with the deals we'd made that really wasn't an option for us. no it
0: really wasn't I, i i agree too i think it helped me visualize sort of like like where we were going down especially some of the a lot of the description that was added to that about like um like uh the the sort of like gritty muddy like streets I thought that was uh was very well I really got a like a lot of visuals off that
1: oh good good I'm happy to hear that I'm happy to hear that um yeah, the module presents it it writes the city in such a way that it presumes that you could arrive there um and just be exploring the town all on your own without having cut a deal with either one of those factions so um, it's po- it's possible to be in a position where you could explore the town a little bit more, and I was a little bit bummed that that didn't like end up working out. Uh, but I mean, the, consequently, like I mean, the town is still there, and you know we'll be able to take a look at it in the next
0: session if you guys. Is know it? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of interesting because you just you just were remarking that we could have like maybe cut a deal with either of the factions, rather than with just a faction we cut a deal with. Which is sort of interesting, the remark that, like, we're a party of, like, a lot of evil characters and that we did join the evil characters, well, the evil NPCs. Well,
2: I mean, let's be honest, though. The evil NPCs came out basically, so they kind of did the, you will become our slaves or die after we've yeah. just broken out of slave pins. Sure. I just think it's kind of great. interesting
0: interesting and ironic, right? Like, the, the evil party does not, like, take the evil, the evil like, like apple in front of them.
1: I, I mean, I, I, at the risk of running into a tangent about, like, evil campaigns and evil parties and stuff like that. Um, I just have to say that this party, the one that we're playing right now, is so much more sort of emotionally balanced than in any other evil party we've ever tried to run. And, also, it's more emotionally balanced and internally consistent than many of the quote-unquote good slash heroic parties we've tried to run in, in, in my memory, um people despite the fact that we have a lot of overtly evil characters everybody seems to get along right the avenging the people the, the evil characters don't care about the avenging paladin's avengingness the avenging paladin doesn't seem to give a shit about the evil characters the evil I mean, the evil characters for the first time ever have been like uh mild to a point i mean it's not it's not mild cuz i don't want to make it seem like you guys aren't playing your alignments you are but for the first time, and I mean, I've been up your guys. I've been up both of your asses <laughs> about this seriously for like the last twenty years, being like, being like, yo, just because you're playing evil doesn't mean you have to play some kind of like psychopath who's like just constantly walks around, you know, killing people and stealing stuff and you know, worshiping demons openly. You know, I mean, we can we can you can be a toned down evil character, right? And and finally, after all these years, I, I have what I've always wanted, you know.
0: Yeah, look, it's working great,
1: too. It's super great.
2: Yeah, and I I think, for some reason, this party is really buying into the idea that we're chaotic evil or lawful evil, not chaotic stupid. And that, while all of us are, almost everybody in the party is an absolute evil, cutthroat character, right now, our, our continued existence relies on somehow managing to work with the rest of the party because... I think all of us character-wise realize that on our own we're we're either dead or back in the slave pen. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh,
0: I I definitely agree with you. I was actually thinking about that as as we had our as this game progressed. I actually there was a point in time where like where things got pretty hairy, and we'll get to, and I was thinking about that I'm like I'm a evil character, but I still want to save this guy's life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right? I That's still so want to crazy. try to save this character. That's so crazy. <laughs>
1: and and we've played so many other games where people have been like, well, I'm lawful good, so I guess I have to save you. You know what I'm saying? And But but like, and I, I just remember the last fantasy game that we all, all three of us played together, and it was the Pathfinder Council of Thieves game. This was like five, six years ago or something. And um, I just remember how intensely dysfunctional that group was. And how I mean that 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 whole can of worms, that whole topic is a topic for a different podcast. But I mean,
0: when d- good games go bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. And I mean that's that's definitely like a that's like a whole show on its own. But um, I mean this game just seems so so healthy, and and, and I was so worried about it when I started writing it because I was like shit. Um, I was remembering Council of Thieves. I was remembering I called the fuck upery, and I was like. I was like, fuck, man, like, if these guys don't work together in the Underdark, they're dead, like, immediately.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you were getting pitched, like, these, like, characters who are sort of out there, like, my character concept and, and Jeff's character concept that were just, like...
1: Yeah, I mean, your concepts are fine. You guys always have fine concepts.
0: Yeah, well, still, they're kind of out there from, like, a typical character, and you. I could see how, like,
2: you might be worried about, like, how, like, everybody's gonna get along and just... yeah. I think also we haven't really ran into the, – the what seems to always be the killer of an evil party is when the one shiny that everybody wants drops. Oh, yeah, that's true. And suddenly everybody whips out their weapons to fight mm. to the death for the shiny. And we really haven't had that because we really haven't been finding any – I mean, everybody's kind <laughs> yeah. of finding bits and pieces, but there hasn't been that one like, oh my god, everybody wants an it item that is dropped. Well, what's,
1: what's interesting is that uh, for a module, usually modules have like a lot of very specific treasure, right? But I don't think this doesn't. Uh, for the most part, I've been rolling off of the um, treasure tables in the DMG. And uh, backing up what I've heard about 5 E is it's a very magic item, rare environment. It's just like I mean they're not just everywhere, and then people are getting a ton of gold, but I don't know what you guys are going to spend it on because you can't buy these things. You can't buy magic items. Lifestyle, go- lifestyle. Yeah, underdark lifestyle. I mean, I, hey, well, are you saying are going to be?
0: Who knows? I mean, we're going to go.
1: We're going to go to a big city. We're <laughs> going to Mantle Dereth. You're going to make it rain. <laughs> yeah, like, why yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that sounds cool. Great.
1: Well, no that uh, that will be interesting. That will be interesting. I mean, if you guys if you guys end up there anyway. So so, there. so uh back to the temple. You guys come into the like chthonic temple and the and the followers of Demogorgon are getting all fucking ape ass and getting all fucking weird. Yeah, they're sort of like a religious frame. yeah and uh, they've built and that. That's where I went with this whole fucking map thing. So in the book they haven't done this, but in my game they've built this. Pier out into the water, right, and they've set up their like um, sacrificial chamber at the at the very end of this at this uh, this pier, and so they lead the party out onto the pier, and uh, I had described it as being kind of like being hastily constructed, like as the party was being led into town um, as prisoners. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it made a lot of sense, and I, 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 I liked the way it played personally. I thought it was like may, maybe it's in there. I don't know. I, I, ha- I don't think so. The map is radically different. Um, but uh, so you guys were way out there on the edge of this pier, and they start this ritual, and then um, Barakas has this has the rad idea. He's gonna like essentially kind of blow up the pier. <laughs> To keep the keep the cultists from swarming out, and at that point it was like time to roll initiative, and everybody started killing everything, right? Or
0: we tried to kill everything and ended up like getting really beat down.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I figured we figured we needed to cut off the pier behind us to stop all the reinforcements from just swarming over us as we're trying to deal with the pr- the priestess and her like inner circle. Um, and I don't know whether the book actually allows for that or not, but it's certainly seemed like a very good idea at the time and did come in helpful at a few points as we shoved and yanked some of the cultists into the hole created by blowing up the
0: yeah sort of coincidentally we had just leveled a three and um i had gone with the uh the monk school of the elemental like like sorcery school for the monk and um i'd been citing like oh i get one spell like which spell am i going to take and i was like i was thinking about it i was like well we just hit this sort of like weird water area in the Underdark, so it makes sense <laughs> for me to like take a water spell. Yeah. So I took this cool water spell that was like, like a, a water whip, right? Yeah, it was a water whip that like fires out for thirty meters and then or thirty feet, and then if if they fail a, a deck save, it can like pull them towards you or knock them prone. So when the the way that this chamber was sort of set up, the priestess was out sort of on a dais, and then there was like a, a sacrificial hole where they were like. Cutting throats and dropping bodies yeah. uh, into this pit that, like, or into the ocean, but through this hole. Yeah. And so I'd had this idea at the start of this battle. I was like, "Well, if I get within, if I get within like thirty feet of that priestess, I'm gonna like cast a spell, and if she makes her dex save, I'm dropping her in the pit. Yeah, yeah. And that'll end this ritual like right now.
1: But I, I did not know this as the GM, and this is one of those moments where I'm like, I pretty. It was serendipitous the way I set up the models on the pier. Because she has this kind of like honor guard of like cult, you know, cult priests that are um, they were spellcasters that uh, did not have her ability, and uh, but they were also like fairly martial characters, and they formed this very kind of like defensive line between her and the party, that uh the party ended up feeling like it was very difficult to get through.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I used up. I get two second level spells. I picked up the spell shatter, used it first off to shatter the pier behind us, and then the second one set it off right on top of most of the cultists and rolled terribly, and my dice never seemed to come back after that.
1: Oh, yeah, everybody blames on the dice. No, this was last last time we played, my dice were cold as fuck. This time, your guys' dice was cold as fuck, and I was rolling hot. I just couldn't stop.
0: Yeah, uh, it sort of of ended up that, like, the thief... Uh, Sejin and myself, the monk, um, ended up, uh, like, up front. I was trying to get towards that priestess, but we just sort of ran into this wall of cultists, yeah. this wall of honor guard, and, um, man, they really hit like a truck. They did, <laughs> they did, and they had a
1: bazillion hit points, too. You guys kept, like, looking at me like, so they fall down now, right? And I was like, no, I
0: they don't, I don't, don't fall down yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, the gnome kept, the manics kept casting, uh, played by Alex, kept casting sleep in the hopes that some <laughs> of them had been reduced to enough hit points where they could finally, like, fall asleep. And you got, like, one
1: at last. <laughs> I was like, ha-ha, deal with it. Um, but, I mean, I will say, so So the cultists kind of end up, I mean, it wasn't, as much as that, that, that wasn't a straight-up encounter. Like, like if you guys had had to just play that encounter out, you guys would have completely party-wiped because these guys were, like, they so deeply outclassed you guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I could tell that, like it seemed like uh, that we we were sort of just meant to sort of try and survive that encounter yeah um, rather than like uh, triumph necessarily yeah uh, and and you know they were definitely in order for us to survive required some withdrawal on our yeah because you and you
1: and uh, uh, Jeff started kind of falling back and uh, Mannix and uh, Seijin went down and had to make the the new D and D five death saves, and that was like our first our first attempt with the D and D five death saves, and that was the shit. I thought it was a save. I thought it was like you got to throw in your con mod or some shit, but no, it's just like you're just rolling 50-50. It's like you're flipping a coin. So you're rolling d twenty, and what you know you're keeping track of death or unconscious, and whichever one you get to
2: first on, on out, of, uh, out of six. Um. Boom. You're 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 done. It, but you do note though that a twenty counts as having succeeded on two saves, and a one counts as having failed two. Yeah. yeah. As I recall,
0: Mannix and, did roll a twenty. It was just on his last his last wall, one yeah. where he was two and two. <laughs> so yeah. it was fifty fifty, live or die at that point for poor Mannix. I
1: think
2: Sijin just made her just bam bam bam. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just three three in a row. No, I think she had one. She had one. Yeah, just one. Either one... way,
0: I mean, at that point, we sort of, we were sort of trying to pull back, and and some of our party had been like, you know, knocked unconscious, and and we're being drugged away. And at that yeah. point, yeah, they're uh, dragging
1: I, you guys to the pit to finish the
0: ritual. Yeah, at that point, that was what we were talking about earlier, where I was like, well, I really want to save these guys. I guess I'm gonna go risk my life here and 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 try and like because at this point, I think I had like four hit points. <laughs>
1: So, so, I mean, kind of, like, to balance out the encounter, the the, the cultists were killing themselves. Uh, with, that, with, with, like, lack of, of uh, sacrifices, they began sacrificing their own lives, and the um, archpriestess of uh, Demogorgon uh, sacrificed herself, which su- successfully summoned Demogorgon from the depths of the Dark Lake. And there was this, like, apocalyptic sort of, like, moment when... Uh, he like rises and he's, he's kind of like one of, Is the word kaiju. It's like a kaiju movie or whatever. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's exactly. like he's like fucking kicking the shit out of, uh out of uh, Slobod. And uh, we these guys both have to. We, everybody rolls for madness, and the only people who fail are uh, are uh, uh, Meng Hao and uh, Baracus. No, they we, don't have to roll. They don't have to roll. Oh, they're unconscious. You're right. And then and then and then if, and Kale's not there. But <laughs> good point. Everybody they were. T- trying not to die. And they run they you guys both roll the same exact fucking uh madness. So you're both like, nah! well, like and, in the same
2: way. And interesting enough is the madness we both rolled really was sort sort of a personification of character traits that both characters have to begin with, sort of this like overwhelming belief that I am right. <laughs> and if you disagree with me you're an Ma- absolute idiot.
1: Imagine that from you guys.
0: Interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not classic. So we hit this sort of like, in, like we're trying to like escape essentially from like, uh, yeah. uh, the wrath of Demogorgon as he like, as he rises from his like, uh, prison. And, um, we hit this like fork in the road where it's like, it's like, uh, and I had sort of been doing this with my character previously where like, it didn't matter which one I chose. I was just going to choose one and assume I was right. And I'd been doing this before. So I figured with this madness that I had, it was like, it was definitely going to happen that way again. So I make my role – I just make a role on myself to, like, figure out where I'm going to go. And then and then uh, uh, Barakas makes his choice, who's also mad. And it just so happened that both of our choices coincided, yeah. which is very fortuitous. Yeah. And
2: fortunately, we were only choosing between two passages. Two so pathways. We, we had a, what, a 25% chance of riding. yeah. hitting – both hitting the right one the same but, one
1: so then so then these guys like roll run out onto this pier where all the various denizens of the uh, dark lake are making their escapes or trying to batten down their boats because the arrival of demogorgon through the dark lake has like disrupted the water and i described everything as being very kind of like hurricane like you know all these like with like these in like like demonic winds and like a lot of surf splashing and uh, by this point the pier has been ruined it's it's all everything is destroyed and uh I had planted this, this these NPCs in a in a boat, the obviously like the best seafaring vessel like at the at their disposal. And I was like, Oh well, you know, these guys'll see that and they'll kinda latch onto that and I'll introduce some new NPCs. Um, that I was hoping to would make things more colorful and characterful. But being in the grips of madness, these two jokers right here decide like that they're gonna have some kinda <laughs> like weird flame war with the with the uh, uh, inhabitants of this boat, I just commanded them to let us aboard, and they oh, did not. And, yeah. and to be
2: fair, I mean, you, you should—I mean, we should share with the listeners the madness that we had is basically this like megalomania personified. Yeah. That we are absolutely right, and anybody who disagrees with us or even attempts to hinder us is obviously an enemy that must be destroyed.
1: Yeah, that is a thing that did happen, and so they—they clearly they didn't respond well to being told what to do and you guys didn't respond well to being told no we're not going to let you on. So 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 Baraka starts like what was it Eldridge blasting
2: the yeah. the boat. I'm going to if if they will not submit to me I will sink them. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> because obviously they're evil and they must be destroyed for their arrogance.
1: And they and you know they didn't care for that at all. So um they just sailed away without you guys which one might think, as a GM, I'd be like really bummed because I'm like, oh, well, now I can't play with my NPCs. But you know, that's what camp- campaigns are about. You know, bringing them back later.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I'm I'm excited for that. In fact, you uh, after this all, we took a rest, and you brought back some other NPCs for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the final thing, and it was the thing that like I was kind of most happy with is that um, the Drow party decided to catch up with these guys and and the, the way the way I kind of left it was uh Jorlan the uh old jailkeeper from Velkanveer approaches and he's been sent by uh Mistress Ilvara to um sort of organize a truce because like obviously you know Ilvara and her and her cohort were camped outside the city waiting for the player characters to make their next move this is the book tells us this and so she witnesses Demogorgon emerge from the dark lake now in the book it tells us that Demogorgon stomps past her, and then she senselessly pursues the characters, uh, and for another like couple chapters, which I thought was just such bullshit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like she's a like, she's a powerful person in the Underdark, and the it always struck me as kind of strange that she had kind of like dropped everything from Velkinveer to chase some slaves anyway. So that's one of the reasons why I made it so that Velkinveer was completely destroyed in our version, so there was, like, nothing for her to really hold on to there, and it just, as I was preparing for the session, I was like, there's just no way she would just hang out and be like, oh, well, there goes, like, the Lord of the Pits or whatever, like, uh, better catch those slaves, that's really what's important to me right now, you know, so the way I ran it was she had already dispatched a couple of her, um, uh, coterie to, various points in the Underdark to spread word that this like demon lord is running rampant and she approaches the characters to, to f- amalgamate your two parties together for safety. And this this was not received well by the party.
0: No, a couple of us do not trust uh, these characters and uh, would rather do other things <laughs> <laughs> that do not involve risking a dagger in the back.
2: I, I think most of the party has trust issues uh, especially with drow slavers
0: yeah and for re-
1: for 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 understandable reasons
0: yeah i guess we left out uh we also did manage to loot the kruatoa town at the same time we did this yeah
1: yeah so i mean i gave you guys you know level appropriate um treasure for the uh cultist
0: encounter it was payment for services rendered yeah yeah, yeah. well the i mean the deep father is no more we help held our side of the bargain
1: yeah, but I mean as a we, we 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 could get into a conversation as to like how your alignment works in with that little rationality you've come up with, but uh, yeah, that we'll save that for another time.
2: Or simply the fact that they had stuff I wanted and
1: that that works better. <laughs> that works better with the way your actions with well, what actions you took.
2: I am chaotic evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then Heather's playing chaotic neutral, which is essentially just like one step away from chaotic evil where you're just kind of like, yeah, well, you know whatever. <laughs> All right, so I mean that's uh, that's out of the abyss for the latest session. Uh, hope you guys got something out of that. We're gonna take a little break here, and uh, when we come back, we have our first mailbag episode, and we have we have some questions. Excited for it. All right, cool. We'll see you in a second. So we are back. To dive into our very first mailbag now, I'd just like to take this second and acknowledge everybody uh, around the world who has been listening to Full Metal RPG over the past month. Uh, at this point, as we were recording this episode, we really only have been active for about I don't know 32 33 days or something, and the um, response we've gotten from places that we just did not think that we would, um, has been really unprecedented, and I just want to take a second and thank all of our listeners, give us a special shout out in particular to some people who have been just incredibly supportive of us uh, Nate from Dungeon Punk slash Core Hammer uh, Mark from Dungeon Punk slash Core Hammer you guys are amazing, and uh, we really appreciate everything you've done for um, Full Metal RPG and then I want to give some shout-outs to some people who have just been down with the Full Metal RPG-like life since uh, before it was Full Metal RPG. This you know, this entire project started out as an uh, Instagram feed called Industrial Strength RPG. The, the sort of vague idea was that it would sort of turn into something later, a, uh, a blog or, a, I don't know, mostly I thought it was going to be a blog. But then Ben had the idea that it would be a podcast, and that's, we, we ran with that. And uh, there have just been certain people who have been with me, with us from day one. Uh, In particular, I want to like give a shout to Gustavo. I want to give a shout to Alberto. I want to give a shout to uh, Jamie at Coliseum Rex. Um, I want to give a shout out to Javi in Spain. Um, You guys like, you know, always checking in, commenting, being so active. It is the lifeblood of what we are doing. And you know, which brings us to this mailbag. I mean, it's since we, it's been a month of doing this, and now people are writing us questions, and they're like saying, "Oh, hey, I was listening to the podcast, and I was thinking, well, how do I do this?" And I'm, and then this, and this blows my mind because I never considered myself to be an expert at anything. I always considered myself to be kind of a dunce, to be totally honest.
0: Yeah, I, I got to say, I was, I was blown away that people wanted wanted our our uh, sort of input on like these various questions. I find it awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it. it, it I can talk about role-playing all fucking day, you know what I'm saying?
0: We have done that before.
1: We have, we have. Uh, we, uh, we have literally talked about, about role-playing until my jaw aches. And so, um, without further ado, we have some questions. Um, the first one is from uh, my friend, Alberto. Uh, you can find him on Instagram, at 5-2-Midnight. That's 5-F-I-V-E, F-I-V-E, the number 2, and then Midnight is spelled, as you would expect. Uh, I will just go ahead and read what he's written. He says, the question... I started my role-playing career with Vampire. My first game was Vampire of the Dark Ages, uh, Rocking Malkavian, which is a clan of Vampire the Dark Ages, for those who don't know. Uh, the game was balanced between role-playing and combat. So here I am many years later, literally picking the dead role-playing scene in my town, hoping to get people back into it. That means learning to run the game. So when I pick up a game like DCC, which by reading some of the modules and core rules, feels like a hack and slash encounter fest. How do I bring a role-playing element to a game that feels like, much as, like it's much more structured for encounters? Has this been a problem with you guys along the way? Would you consider the OSR scene more edged for encounters, or is it something in my head that can totally build and run a nice role-playing scenario in between the actions? And then he, he kind of follows up with this, with this very interesting point. He says, I ask because I'm trying to incorporate Patolis. Uh, run a portion in the slum as a gang pay their dues out of the seedy side to the upper levels. And first thing I want to say is that sounds like a fucking badass game. It does. So, so Alberto, do not give up on that concept. That concept is pure gold. And Patolis, to my understanding, is, like, a fucking rad-ass supplement. I mean, that was, like, one of those $100 fucking Monty cookbooks back in the uh, uh, mid-OGL days that just gave you, like, it was like it was a tome. You could, like, beat someone to death with that thing. It was, like, 100 bucks, and it gave you this entire city that you could—unbelievable, just unbelievable, like, micro-detail on, like, everything that was going on. Um Personally, as a GM, I kind of stay away from those books that have, like, the micro detail. I am more interested in hooks and less interested in detail. But whatever is working for you is, is what's going to work. Now, the reason Alberto asked about um, DCC is he, he kind of posted this on our Facebook page where I was kind of pumping for the uh, DCC guys at Kickstarter they were doing for their uh, fourth printing of the DCC RPG game. And that's kind of why this
2: question has an OSR flavor to it. Uh, you know, you might want to tell everyone what the acronym for DCC is.
1: Oh, DCC is Dungeon Crawl Classics, which um, started out as being like a series of uh, um, modules using the open gaming license materials published by Wizards of the Coast, the 3.0, uh, 3.5 3. era. And then um, by the, w- the way that they talk about the history of their company, they um, when, P- when, when D&D transitioned into 4th, they kept trying to publish model- modules for 4th. But... Uh, interest waned in forth, as we have noted, because it sucked. And so they realized that if they were going to kind of survive that, they had to sort of uh, come up with their own, their own thing. So they wrote a rule set um, that they could then write modules for. And this rule set is one of the most kind of like um, talked about rule sets in the OSR scene. People are bonkers for it now. I don't have mine. I, I I backed the Kickstarter, so I don't have mine yet. I flipped through it, and I mean, it's it's very tabley. It has a lot of tables. It looks okay. Um, and I, I think that Alberto really hits on something by saying that it's very encounter driven, and we all uh, the whole OSR scene in a certain sense is very encounter driven. Yes. Um, and th- I think that that sort of reliance on encounter driven storytelling was one of the things that opened up the path for storytelling games in, like, the early 90s. And even when I'm writing for, say, um, Lamentations of the Pl- Flame Princess, which is another uh, OSR, which is, stands for Old School Role Playing or Old School Renaissance, uh, games, I just can't get away from the storytelling thing. Like, James Rage, who, who basically, I think, in his ethos, when he's, like, kind of talking about OSR gaming, he... He really kind of condescends the storytelling games as being kind of like English book reports or like drama kid fun tropes. And I mean, I totally understand where he's coming from with that. Um, But I can't get I can't get away from it. I love character driven stuff. I don't really care about encounter driven stuff. Encounters are fine and they're fun and they're part of the game. But I I like stories, you know.
0: So how do you how do you uh, balance the two then? Well, as a as a as a GM GM storyteller,
1: this this is what um this is what I want to say about this is what I want to say to Alberto. Um The gaps in the system and in the story, where nothing is written for s- social encounters or for story, is where you insert your story. You know. And at a certain point, you basically just take that module and you look at it as a framework. And you say, oh, well, here's the things I like out of it. And then I just get rid of everything I don't. And you can insert as much story into it as you want. In fact, I really like modules for this reason. Because they give us just dozens and dozens of pre-made characters, dozens and dozens of pre-made maps. They, Really, modules start out with a premise. I don't like the idea of a module as a instruction manual. I like it more as a kind of like helpful suggestion, kind of like a cool pitch like a like a like a three sentence pitch about what a game could be about. I had so much fun running council of thieves because like half that game that I ran was just was 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 the shit that I came up with. you know like I kept up making what I like to do is this: I like to take. The module and I like to imagine the environment that exists inside of right and then I extrapolate on what kind of conditions would this create what kind of people would you meet here and how would they behave and that's where all the story comes from you know I mean that's 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 the story right
2: I mean, we've, I, all three of us have had this debate more times than any of us can count about how <clears throat> some of the old school D&D, especially advanced D&D, second edition, and even to some extent 3.5, yeah, does not, in a way, does not support the role playing. And we've always had this debate as to whether, all right, forgetting the system mechanics, if you have the right group, could you still do role-playing in it? And I think the group and the encouragement from the the dungeon master, storyteller, whatever title you want to use, to the group on give me backstory for your character. Why is your character walking around here? And then creating these story hooks. And, and this is where modules really can come in grace because they give you sort of this pre-done framework and, and lay out some nice uh details for you okay here's who the king or the general or the town leadership are and here's some of the things going on around here that you can work in so why do the characters care and why are the characters doing this um but it it all falls on the game master the the dungeon master to push the players to role play because if the dungeon master doesn't it's not going to happen especially using these encounter driven games i i
0: uh I, I tend to approach things as um, a player first. Um, I have, as I've said before, I've had aborted attempts at running, but uh, you know, majority of my my experience comes in as a player, um, and and I will say that uh, that if you want to have uh, that sort of like role playing experience with a story like we all love here, um, then I think. It is incumbent that your players have to be active participants in that. If they are not yeah. active participants in that, then it's 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 almost impossible to succeed. Um, you can you can you can tell the greatest story in the world that and provide like awesome hooks for your players to sort of like take part in. And if they just say, when am I going to kill something? Then it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, because y- the thing about running a game is you put in a tremendous amount of work. You put in a tremendous amount of work because. You have to be generating locations and NPCs and kind of, like, not necessarily encounters in a mechanical sense where you're, like, drawing the number of feet in a room and, like, how many orcs are going to be in there and stuff. But, like, kind of cool opportunities. You're you're always trying to craft cool opportunities. Like, Like, what's... You think to, this is what I do? Is I think to myself like, well, what if I was watching a movie or something? Like, what would I want to see? If I was reading a novel, what kind of cool scene would I want to happen? Like, would I want the characters to walk into a boring tavern and have like a very cliche bar fight, or would I want to create something that's a little bit different? It's familiar enough to be fun and engaging, but it's different enough to um, fire my
2: imagination. You see, what I'm saying. Um, hey, you know, I think I think this is where the dungeon master can come in so heavily. Is your descriptions of the world uh, around the characters can really lead and push them into the role playing? Because if you if you give them sort of that, well, you walk into a tavern there's some guys over in the corner and uh, there's a guy behind the bar and uh, yeah, that's that's what you see. Where's where's the kind of like the feeling? Whereas if you tell the players, all right, you walk into this room, the the wooden rafters are thick. With the, with the smoke of the cooking fires that have been burning here for the last 50 years. An old man stands behind the bar, slowly cleaning out the glassware. A troop of elven troubadours stands in the corner, preparing to, for their next song. You see three individuals huddled around the fire, their cloaks pulled tightly apart around them. You can just barely see the glint of, this, of the steel of their scabbards poking out from the lower edge of their cloaks suddenly you've got a room that has some interest and suddenly there's a hook there and um, do we want to see what the the Elven troubadours are going to do? Or do we want to go interact with those? What are probably other adventurers around the fire? Or do we maybe go to the old bartender? No, they for... don't even
1: have to be other adventurers. I mean, they could be like the king's men. They could be some like disgruntled soldiers who have defected. Now they're like they're like they're like we're wanted men. You know what I'm saying? I'm wanted in twelve systems or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean you you could you could do anything with what you just with that with that concept and you and you basically just described in excellent detail leaving enough room for me to imagine but still painting an evocative picture in my mind right you just you you described a um a standard kind of high fantasy tavern you know what i'm saying and there was like just so much going on in it that there's like really no reason for your players to be like oh ho hum there's nothing to do here you know what i'm saying and that's where you create that story you know and I think what you're saying is right. That, it's, that The players have this responsibility, and you have to cultivate that in your players. Yes, You know, I mean, sometimes players get into this idea that, like, you as the GM are this entertainer guy who's there to show up and, like, do a bunch of entertaining, but it's cooperative storytelling. And they, at the front end of the game, just like you were saying, they have to know that this is what they're getting into. They have to be like, like, oh, yeah, like... I have a responsibility to build the story that we are playing.
0: Yeah, I would encourage I would encourage you to uh, have your char- have your players um, create characters that are beyond just the paper in front of them, you know, uh, uh, have interesting backstories, have like, you know, goals, emotions, thoughts that are beyond like, I want to slash this like, you know, slime down.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that that actually kind of segues us nicely into um, well, the I, next question. Go, you have oh, yeah. I, some I
0: wanted to I want to answer his other part here because he, he said, has this been a problem for us? Oh, the yeah. I kind of
1: want to get to that, too. And it has. It Yeah,
0: it totally has.
1: It been. has yeah. been a problem. We
0: yeah. uh, starting off, we, um, you know, we've had a lot of people we've role played with over the years and uh, we've had schisms in our group because of this. Uh, because you know it's not for everybody. Honestly, some it people, isn't. yeah, some people want different things out of out of uh, role playing. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, you it, I think a certain portion of it's finding like minded individuals who enjoy the things that you enjoy.
1: And you can't make people like the things that you like, and you have to be okay with that. But you have to be able to. Uh, it, but being a GM is, is is a delicate balancing act because you're trying to give people what they want. But you also have to get out of it what you want. Now, if you're in this small town, maybe, and you want to be running, like, essentially like a vampire LARP, and everybody else just wants to be running, like, a, like, second edition dungeon crawl, like, they ain't going to play that LARP with you, man. Um, but running a second edition dungeon crawl is going to kill your soul, you know? So, I mean, you shouldn't have to do it, and they shouldn't have to do it. But you should definitely talk to some people and see where you can find the middle ground,
0: I, you know? I, I will say that there is a certain amount of, like, um, exposure that, that's necessary to sort of realize what you want out of this. Yeah. So it is possible that the people you meet don't know if they might actually enjoy this. And it's worth, like, you know, talking to them about it. Yeah. Um, you know, if this is something you tried and if they'd like it. Because, uh, I mean, uh, we all started off as, uh, you know, the dungeon crawl and uh, we've you know, organically sort of uh, found each other and what we like to do beyond that. Yeah.
2: And I I know we don't want to spend too long. We've got some time restraints here, but one thing as a GM you have to absolutely be willing to do at some point is if you've got that one disruptive presence in your group that the rest of the group is trying to role play and that guy is just picking a fight with every tavern he comes into because that's what he gets off on, you've got to be willing to cut that person free and say hey we like you as a friend love to hang out with you but this game isn't for you yeah yeah
0: i think it worked out too for us in a sense that we had a lot of people that we used to role play with and it sort of solidified in two different two different groups it did uh one group that was more into the dungeon crawl aspect the other group that was more into the story aspect and uh and we're all
1: happier yeah. for it
0: now you know and i
1: i have no a lot of times you hear about these kind of like big flame outs that groups have. And we, we definitely have had some kind of rows in our, in our group. And we're not talking just about like, like little groups that came together and split up, but like in our inner circle, there was always this tension between who was wanting to do role playing and who was wanting to do role playing. You know what I'm saying? With the dice. And eventually the guys who wanted to roll dice and kill shit have kind of like moved on. They formed their own group and they um, do kind of, tactical simulations you know with like character elements in it and they we, have a
0: strong weekly group that meets and they, they, do. Together.
1: they do they and, do and we tell stories and we do we do narrative driven stuff and i love those guys and i think they love us we don't play together but we still appreciate each other and love each other so
0: yeah i think that sort of takes us into the sort of the next question from at the pickled dragon
1: yeah that's uh Um, the underscore pickled underscore dragon on
0: Instagram. I guess I I got to say that because underscores aren't necessarily visible to everybody. Agreed. Uh, As someone who runs multiple games a week, I enjoy hearing what other DMs have to say about the difficulties of our craft. One of the games I run is for teenagers who are just learning the game. The largest obstacle I face with them is teaching them the difference between role-playing and role-playing. They all want to be just the biggest badass in the universe. I want them to create a person with goals, flaws, and human emotions. Let's hear how you would handle teaching a bunch of kids how to role play.
1: And that's that's a great question because it it's, it's a little daunting to the three people who are sitting at this table right now because none of us have kids. So we are going to do the best we can to answer this, but we are going to keep that in mind with a caveat that we are not people who role play with kids, and we certainly would never tell someone how to do it if our ideas are bollocks then
2: we accept that we we we, <laughs> we, we 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 get it man i mean first off Pickle dragon bless you for trying to bring up the next generation of role players um yeah indeed right i mean we, th- th- this is our life's blood
1: so i mean that, that you are doing good work my friend I, I here, <laughs> you guys, no, you no, guys I are got, all I like got, I've got some uh, thoughts. I've well, some then thoughts. say your thoughts, man. You like yeah, yeah. the question. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I I will say that I was struck when this I was struck by this question because I was I was picturing how we started off and how we sort of organically came together. Um, you know, I think a person at a time. But what sort of then I started thinking about like uh our iron the Iron GM competition that we did. Yeah. And uh
1: your train of thought and my train of thought on this were identical. Yeah,
0: like uh the 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 group that you ended up with had never had really uh, uh the, the type of story driven experience that you provided them and they loved it when you provided it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean they did, they did. Um that was let me let me just back up for a second. Okay. I really like the way you started that out because we in this room, the guys in this room did not grow up under the tuliage of another like elder statesman of role playing. We we grew up role playing, um, in back rooms and in game shops, essentially teaching each other how to play. And every so often, we would have an older kid who would teach us how to play, but those those experiences were always kind of like mired in kind of like teenage angst and melodrama and the weird sort of theater of the mind that's going on there. We never had somebody sit down and tell us this is how it's done. We sort of, in a certain sense, taught each other how to play. And I mean, I guess what happened with me was I read all these damn vampire books in the 1990s that were into character-driven stuff, and I just sort of got this idea in my head that that is the direction that we needed to go, and that we needed to do less of the combat-driven stuff, and so I started pushing that real hard, and it wasn't, it wasn't always easily met. It wasn't always well met, you know, and there was like a lot of growing pains we had to do to, to kind of get through those times, but back to what you were saying about the Iron GM, those were like the youngest kids' That I'd ever run for that was the biggest age gap I had ever had. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd run
0: for us when we were younger or, or as young as them, but younger, but, yeah, <laughs> younger, but uh, but uh, not not like with the age gap difference,
1: yeah, exactly. And what I found is that they also wanted to be badasses, but like all people, and I think this goes to all role playing, is that they they wanted to get something out of it, right? They wanted to feel a certain way. I think all players want to get something out of it, and they want to feel a certain way. And if you can strike a bargain with them and you can say, well, yes, you're going to get this, but I need to get this, then you guys are on the way. You're on the way. And the, f- those first attempts might not yield all the fruit that you want it to but you will definitely be planting the seeds, you know? Because some of the, like, more in-depth role-playing is kind of an acquired taste, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, it's not intuitive. A lot of times people just think that all they're going to do is describe rooms and then kill things. And then when somebody challenges you by saying, like, no, I, no. what is your motivation for killing things? What are your motivations for... What, why? Oh, it says on your character sheet that you're a member of the Church of Lathander. Why? Tell me why. You know, people, like, start, I don't know. There's a cool <laughs> picture in the book by Lathander. And it's like, you have to, like, getting them to think about that, you know, I mean, it just takes time. It takes time and cultivation, you know?
2: I mean, I've I've never GMed for, at least not in fantasy setting for younger people. I've been in a few D&D games where someone's kid would sit in with us and, you know, I mean, that was always the, the thing was, uh, trying to get the teenager to sort of sit, sit still and actually pay attention to the game enough. Uh, we. But those games were not role-playing intensive to begin with. They were, I have ran for some people in their like early 20s in Vampire. And yeah, that seems to be something, you know that late teenager, early 20s, you always want to be the biggest, baddest, scariest guy on the block. And as anybody who's familiar with the world of darkness, especially with the Vampire the Masquerade system, as a new character, you are about as far from the biggest, scariest guy on the block as you can get. I mean, yeah, you're... That's a
1: really interesting point. There is a sense of powerlessness in storytelling games, huh?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, you're a vampire. You're way more powerful than the average human. And if you piss the prince off, he looks at you sideways, you explode.
1: Yeah, yeah. And people sometimes reject that. I definitely have people reject that. People who want to play... Um... Epic fantasy, high fantasy, because of the sort of like power fantasy that's inside of it. But kind of what I'm hearing here, as we're talking, and I didn't even really realize, I didn't come to this conclusion consciously until I heard us all talking. But what I'm hearing is, you should consider showing them a storytelling game. You should consider showing them a game that isn't just um, a character sheet with statistics that have... The things I'm able to do, and the combat I'm able to create, and I mean, of course, my preference would be like show them some World of Darkness.
0: Yeah, I think um I think when it gets down to it, the game that we're playing right now, obviously, is Dungeon Dragons Fifth Edition, yeah. um, and like like a lot of games like a uh, similar bent, sort of are uh, or at least in, especially in the uh, especially in the o- OSR community. We're sort of designed without that in mind, without the storytelling in, in mind. Um, yeah, truly. And truly. It, I think we, we inject it into the games because that's what we like. So we're able, we because we have so much experience in doing this, we have a very storytelling storytelling feel, like a d d game that feels like a storytelling game.
1: Well, I mean, over the years, like I was saying, I have developed this contract with you and with Jeff about I know what it is that you want, and I know what it is you'll give me. And you guys know what it is I want, and you'll know what I give you. So, it's so much easier for us now. Yeah. And now that we've figured that out, we can we can play a game like D&D 5, and we can just work off of that template. Whereas, 10 years ago, I mean, I remember playing fucking some <laughs> D&D with you like 10, 15 years ago where we were like in each other's grills. Like, give me my powers. And I was like, play a fucking character.
0: Sure. Sure. I also remember... Um after we got exposed to more storytelling-driven games, you trying to pitch D and D to us, and remember, remember how hard you had to work to try and convince us to play Alcadib. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that did
0: happen because I don't know. I just, yeah,
1: I it's weird. Like the 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 longer I play, like I I feel like I probably probably you know what I was realizing I was like looking at all these fucking uh, World of Darkness books that I collect here, and um I don't think I've run a World of Darkness game in like the better part of ten years. But I've run a ton of fantasy. I don't know what it is. I've just like, I got the, guys yeah, hooks back into me. I just run fantasy all the time now. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pickle Dragon, show, show your teenagers a storytelling game. Now, I, I, as I said, my preference is World of Darkness. World of Darkness can be as edgy or not as edgy as you want. You know, I mean, you don't have to turn, it doesn't have to be all about like hanging out in bondage clubs and doing coke or whatever. I mean, you can make it that. But if you're concerned about the kind of content that the, Teens are looking at, then you can you can tone it down. You can you can run a, a great X Files type game off of just the very basic World of Darkness core book, um, and I think that that's, that that having to play a character that not only like mechanically is like very less, very much less powerful than your typical D and D character, but that also is a human in a relatable human world will definitely help train them like how to think in
2: more. Uh,
1: emotional, goal-driven, motivated
2: ways, right? I'd absolutely agree. I mean, you you take the average World of Darkness game, which is really a dark reflection of the world we live in today, and so it's much easier to kind of create a character that has the same motivations, the same uh, feelings, the same ideas. And also, there's so much source material out there now, secondary source material, that you can show to some teenagers you know, movies and, and and the like that can help them kind of get a feel for that sort of gritty, dark world. And, and going as gory or screwed up as you want. I mean, you can go anywhere from something, like you said, like The X-Files. Yeah, which is and, pretty chill. Right. Or Boondock, or to like something like Boondock Saints, which far more violent, but not necessarily overtly. Yeah.
0: I, I also think, though, on a, on a on a sort of like relatable level, that in order to sort of like break people out of the uh, sort of idea of just this rolling dice and killing stuff. Um, there has to be some sort of like emotional investment. Um, now. Well, yeah, but we're talking about how you get there. you know. Well, sure, sure. I think that like, you know, I, I th- at first, I think the reason why the storyteller games are sort of easier to sort of like approach that is that once you put the time in to sort of like figure out who this character is that you're like about to play, um, you sort of get invested in them, yeah. but that investment can come um, outside in the story that you are telling. I am reminded of a few, few games where I played, where uh, just witnessing what happened to certain NPCs like affected me quite, quite uh, heavily. I think there was um like a werewolf game that you would run in the old west. Yeah, I remember that one. Where um I had I was playing a character who was sort of this dark and troubled character, and had sold out. This mentor figure who was sort of this like this uh, awesome character and uh, I felt horrible about it like I had this emotional investment in it even though I did it I still felt horrible about it and to me it remains even though the game was not very long-lived it remains one of these games that I still think about all the time because of the emotional investment that it brought me there yeah
1: no that's good hey I'm happy to hear that you remember that game well you know I put it I think it was like, like three sessions or something right and yeah, yeah. Three or four I, sessions. Yeah,
0: it was sort of like a, a side project, I think, in between Giovanni Chronicles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a fun time. Um, but uh, but yeah, I remember that quite heavily because of that. I was I, I I just remember the scene where I sold him out and how terrible I was feeling as I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, uh, the Pickle Dragon,
1: I know that you uh, like your fantasy. So um, if the, all this world of darkness kind of postmodern urban horror type stuff is like a turnoff to you, you might consider taking a look at uh, Dungeon World, which is run on the Apocalypse Engine, and it's kind of like a more fate-oriented game, and it's much it's 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 a it's a fantasy storytelling game. Um, I don't have it; I've heard endless good things about it, and they they have a whole bunch of other books that have been there that run on that engine. So it's like um, I think that uh, you'll get the and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to conform that one to the um, world that I know you've been working on. I've seen your maps, and they are gorgeous, and I know that you put a lot of work into that. So, uh, thanks for listening. Alright, so we got another, another question, right? Uh, Jeff?
2: Yeah, this comes from at Garrett. Hey man, do you have any experience running Eberron? I'm attempting to port it to 5th E. Would love to hear the thoughts of an experienced DM. It'll be my first time running a game. Um, I've run Eberron numerous occasions. I know Brendan has as well. We I've a just played
0: in never on, never run it.
2: <laughs> if this is TT uh, Garrett, if this is going to be your first time ever behind the screen, I would say probably stay away from trying to have the double headache of first time GMing and porting a game and up in a system. Granted, it's not a huge port from 3.5 to five. But you're just asking for a lot of extra headaches. That having been said, I think Eberron is an amazing setting. And I really like it.
1: Yeah, like, uh, to be totally honest, um, the Eberron porting is actually the easy part because a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Dungeons & Dragons on its official homepage has a series of articles called Unearth Arcana. You go onto the D&D official page, they bury this fucking thing. It's like they don't want you to read it for whatever reason. D- hey, D&D developers, your webpage sucks. Um, they, you cannot you can't there's no way to find this just on the actual page. You have to search for it. So that means you have to somehow know that it exists, which I I, I anyway. So you go into the DD homepage and there'll be a little search bar in the upper right hand corner and it'll say search articles inside of it. And you type into that unearthed arcana. That will pull up all of the Unearthed Arcana articles for you. If you keep scrolling down to the bottom You'll find one from like February 2nd of 2015, okay, and this is entitled something like Eberron, okay, and this does all the porting for you. This does, you'll get uh, your Artificer classes in there, your um, Warforged, your fucking Changeling, all those fucking guys are in there. You don't have to worry about any of that shit. In addition, in other Unearthed Arcana articles that will actually be subsequent to the Eberron port, there is uh, Psionics. There's an, a, a rules for Psionics article. And then there's another class called the Mystic Adept, which is like a, a hybrid between an arcane magic user and a Psionicist. And. You'll need all of those for Eberron because Eberron has this whole uh, psionics fucking continent, and it's a big part of that storyline. So you'll need those three articles, and once you have those three articles, then you're fucking fine. You know, what I would suggest doing is 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 get on eBay or go down to your used bookstore and find a butt ton of Eberron books on the cheap, because right now people aren't really looking for them. Um, they but they haven't become rare collector finds yet, and the those old 3.0 3.5 books are where all the lore is at. You can read like um you know Five Nations is a Five Nations is a great book, uh, Dragonmarked is a great book, um, Secrets of Sarlona is a great book um and then, you know if you're like looking at those monsters and you're like thinking oh geez i just don't know like how am i gonna run this first of all fuck the stats stats don't matter just find a monster that like look at in your, look in your monster manual find a monster that like looks cool and is it about at the right fucking like cr for what you want to be fight, fighting the party and then you just use those stats but describe the monster that it says that you see in Eberron, you know
0: what, what you're really talking about is the porting of different, like, of flavor versus, like, yeah, versus yeah. like rules or whatever. Yeah. Um. And I was, I had this idea where I was going to talk about, like, because, because I'm, I'm kind of a systems guy. I like, I like systems on a sort of a very basic level. And so I had this idea, like, I was going to talk about, like, the different, like, the tricky part of, like, porting systems to Ebron or from Eberron. Um, but apparently I, I don't have to do that now because they've already done all that for you.
2: Yeah, I did all
1: that for you, Sonny. Uh, yeah. I don't know why they don't make those articles. I mean, they're really good articles. Their webpage does check. suck.
2: It's fucking ghastly. Yeah, I hadn't realized that they'd put this article out. I was, I was sitting here thinking you're going to have to do all the systems transfer on top of trying to be your first time GMing. Ooh. Now, one little tip I will give you, T.T. Garrett, on GMing Eberron. Uh, think long and hard before letting players play Warforged if it's your first time GMing, because nothing can wreck a GM's plan faster than a couple of Warforged with their high armor class and lots of hit points right off the bat and just wrecking through you. Well, uh,
1: I mean, right now we are talking about the 3.5 Warforged right now. I mean, the, point. the 3.5 Warforged and the 3.5 Artificer were, were nightmares because they just, they played Havoc with just basic systems in that book. But what made the Warforged ridiculous was his, the way that he relied on feats. Like, he just, as you you played like a Warforged fighter, and then you got a billion little feats, right? And there were a bunch of Warforged-only feats that, that essentially was like, I'm a cyborg, and I rebuild my body to do something very, very specific and very, very damaging to the GM's game. That's gone, because those feats are gone. Good point. Um, the Artificer was a bitch because he had, like, this ridiculous way to, like, subvert the magic system and, like, crank out ridiculous magic items all the time for, like, no gold or whatever. And, like, so he broke magic. But now the magic system is different, and the magic item production system is different. And I took a very, very, very quick look at um, the Artificer for you, and I don't think he's going to be a problem. I could be wrong. I should really have had uh, Ben Bailey over here, my fucking... Bloodhound for Broken. Um, take a look at it. Maybe, may, you know what? I'll have him look at Ben. Look at this thing. Okay, and we'll get back to we'll. I'll back have to, to you.
0: scour the web page to find the article, but I will do it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right.
2: You, you, I will have to roll
0: trek trek my way through, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons mecca to find it. I
2: guess. Pa- make sure you pack some iron rations. Yes, it's it's like
1: hey hey uh wizards, you know what would be cool like a link that tells me what books I can expect to come out. And when I mean, <laughs> who I mean, you know, if you let me get a little hot under a collar about like the upcoming releases, I might you know be more inspired to buy them. I mean, you know, they, hey, they got you know they got my, my, my hands tied to buying them all anyway. Um, because hey, the webpage sucks, but it's the best product like maybe ever. Um, but did I have another point? I had the, my last point on porting this thing. I was looking. I didn't realize that there was another like Unearthed Arcana book somewhere. Oh, you know what? It's in the fucking player's guide, I think, for Princes of the Apocalypse, which I don't actually have. Anyway, it's this little tiny slim volume, and they have uh, playable Duragar in there. I didn't know that they had that, and so I was looking through the monster manual. The new monster manuals don't have rules on playing um, the monsters, and so I was my buddy Ben when we were getting out of the Abyss started. He was talking about how he wanted to play a Durigar. So I was looking at it, and I was like, "Well, how disruptive is this guy going to be if I port him over?" And so I compared him, the 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 new Durigar to the old one, the old in like the 3.5 Monster Manual, which I had a much like more uh, in depth mechanical understanding of. And to be totally honest, they're almost the same. They're really almost the same. So if you are going through one of these uh Eberron books and you find a monster in one of those in those back pages somewhere, like don't worry about it, man. Don't sweat it. You can almost you can pretty much almost run it rules as written. And if you do just choose to run it rules as written and like shit kinda gets started it's getting out of hand, just fucking just pull back on the mat on the dice a little bit while you're while you're rolling. Just and, and, and you you're a new DM and you're gonna make some mistakes. Um but just like just like uh, Jeff was saying, if somebody's being a dick to you in your game and it's not working out, then just tell them to knock it off. And if they don't, then let them go. Uh, get the guys, get the kind of people who are playing that want to be playing your kind of game. So think about what that is before you start. And uh, have fun. You know, Definitely
2: have fun. And, and remember, you're you're the DM. You're One, the DM, man. Never let them see you sweat. And two, when you make a ruling stick with it
1: stick with it it's your game man you know what okay i'm gonna t- it's a quick aside before we get to our last question we have we have a little bit of time i once had a player come to one of my games this is a vampire game right and this was a new player and i was kind of between groups i was assembling a new group at this point right um that that ben ben was ben was part of it but i don't it's a long story anyway i was assembling a new group and so I really felt like this pressure like oh well, I have to have these guys play because if I don't I have no group I'm not going to role play anymore. My life will be over, right? So I invite these people over and we start playing session 1. And this guy is sitting in his chair at my house. He's my fucking guest in my fucking home, right? And I've given him like I've done all the host shit. I've got like 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 beers and I've got like some snacks and I've invited him over to my house to play a game with me and I'm starting to set the tone for vampire which vampire is a very like tone heavy kind of thing right mood oriented just like all gothic horror and homeboy sits in his chair and starts pretending to snore like <sighs> like that like real loud at the table and at first I was like stunned I was like wh- like 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 what like I mean he's like trying to send me a message like this is boring boring. Get me out of here. And you know what I should have done, man? You know what I should have done? Is I should have called time on the game. I should have stood up and said, you know what, man? This isn't going to work. Thanks for coming by. I'll see you around somewhere else, but we don't need to play anymore. That
0: could have saved us some trouble in the long run.
1: (laughs) And I didn't. And as Ben just said, we ended up playing with this guy for like two or three more fucking years. He was a thorn in my side that entire time. He was a thorn in the side of, like, everybody. And eventually we had to fucking kick him out anyway, right?
0: In and in a, in a, in the way in which we, we ended up kicking him out ended up destroying a game that we were all really enjoying.
1: Yeah, I mean, this guy ended up being the fucking terror of multiple games. So don't ever compromise your own kind of self-esteem. Understand it's your game. It's your fun. It's your house. And if, if they don't want to play, then they don't have to. There will be other players. Anyway, so that's... Brendan
0: the Martinet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's that. Um, good luck on your screenplay, homie. I know that that's coming along well for you. All right, so last question of the night is coming from our good friend and loyal supporter, um, Gustavo. He says, My name is Gustavo, Brazilian cinematographer. So the cast are fantastic. Keep doing the great job. I'm trying to spread the word and send the podcast to every friend that are into RPGs, which we appreciate, my friend. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Uh, So my question is, how often do you guys use props on the table and which games are the best to use props? That's his first question. We'll read the second question next. So you want to go ahead and get started with this one, Jeff?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, first off, I think we need to define props. Are we talking miniatures for a tactical map? Are we talking like, costuming and other clothing well Gustavo
1: and I talk quite a bit I think he's a he's a
0: world of darkness guy
2: okay if we're I mean talking clothing and like props like that I'm a huge fan of using them for world of darkness games
0: I I seem to recall like um when we were really into our like big big original like vampire world of darkness runs we had a lot of props around I mean uh this was back at your old house and we had like uh like that cool knife that, that was always out there and then like the yeah the, the knife like the the like uh like uh all of the candles and like uh, all sorts of things that was very sort of evocative of of uh of you know gothic horror to sort of p- put people in the mindset of what they were doing and some of us would I don't we wouldn't necessarily dress up like we were like characters in a gothic horror game but we would certainly like Jeff did Jeff dressed up as his character, and I gave him additional experience points for that
1: every single week. And he sat there in the sweltering hot Phoenix Nights. Dressed in full character in in my in my in my parents' house, we were quite young at the time, and we were I was still living at home. He was in my house, surrounded by candles. We're talking about it's like ninety degrees out, and I would l- illuminate the room only by candles. Now this is where we come across like complete fucking nerds because we would we we, we would we we gothiced out that room.
0: I mean, we, props props wrestlers weren't necessarily even just like a like a, a, a visual thing that you could see. I mean, we had like m- you used music in some of those games. Like.
2: Oh yeah, to me, score is very important for a. At score the candlelight sets mood, yeah, I,
0: th- th- no, yeah.
2: no, I mean, you guys go ahead
0: i i I recall like a lot of things we did, I mean, because really what you're talking about when you're talking about this is you're talking about things that like helps help set the mood, yeah, and i uh, and I recall like, um, it wasn't just like the stuff that was out there. it wasn't just the music, but there were also I remember we would start. We would start reading like some weird passage from like the Book of Nod or something. Like we
1: started every game session with by reading a passage from the Book of Nod around candlelight. I mean, God, Jesus. <laughs> okay, so at the time I'm living at home, right? And we did all this shit. So like I, I I blacked out my windows. I had this huge side bedroom, right? Huge, and you know everywhere I've lived subsequently, I do the same thing to my play area when I want to run World of Darkness. I black out the windows. I try to have some big curtains. Like hanging either over the windows or on the walls, even just to cover up bare walls or cover up kind of like ugly paintings or just th- anything that's gonna distract you. Um, I I like to invest in sconces and um, candlesticks and um, candelabras. You know, you can usually kind of scour some like uh, estate sales. You can find these things. Uh, people trying to get rid of them cheap. You can go to Goodwills. You can get them cheap. I always burn real candles, man. I don't fuck with that LED shit. Because real candles, like, drip candle wax and they build up over weeks and months into these, like, big, big piles of, like, candle wax like you'd see in some kind of, like, like Vatican library or something. It just totally takes you to that, like, vampire, the Dark Ages kind of, like, feel. Uh, sometimes I get, like, I'll, I'll, I'll mix in, like, one or two scented candles to, like, play with smell a little bit to kind of, like, to, like especially like if say say we're doing some stuff in Venice like a a, a chapter is going to take place in Venice or a couple chapters is going to take place in Venice then I'll choose a sense and I'll stick with that just for those chapters right so that it, it creates one more layer of uniqueness to that story um we would, we would gather around the tables and read out the Book of Nod. The knife that Ben is referring to is this kind of like costume knife thing that I found at a garage sale somewhere. It says it's like a Spanish dagger, but it looks kind of, it's, it's corny in the light of day and I would never be like seen running around the street with it saying, this is my dagger. But I mean like, in a role playing scenario it really helps just kind of take you there. I always make sure that that's on the table. I like to keep like some kind of skulls and some bone stuff, which in Arizona are really easy to come across because of there's like a lot of things that die out in the desert. And you can just take their bones. Um, these things, these kind of memento mori, you know, they always, they always put you there. I have this really great um, Roman Catholic cross that my brother bought me. I think it really works. Uh, tablecloths don't don't skimp on your tablecloth, homie. Like a nice plush tablecloth with like a cool pattern on it, not some like Christmas shit. Will really will really help take you there,
2: right? Or even if you know if, if a true tablecloth is outside your budget, uh, just go get a couple yards of just good black fabric to drape over the table mm-hmm. and use it as that. Um, especially, a great thing with using something like that is then as the wax cakes onto it, you're like, oh, I don't care. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was so much shit we ruined that wax. Am I right? Yeah, so much shit. Um, I know the the vampire game that I ran for nearly ten years. We would do the same thing: the candles, the uh one character had a very unique sword and uh, i actually at one point like found a sword that matched my description of the sword the guy always carried so i picked it up and it would always have it like leaning in the corner especially uh on nights when this npc would would be interacting with the party uh, having and having people it'd be amazing especially when you're running like a world of darkness game how much mood you can have just by Having your players asking to put forth that little bit of effort, like, hey guys, throw on at least a black t shirt and a pair of black Levi's.
1: Oh, yeah, this is critical. Kind of like when you, if you were doing theater, and like you, you don't, in theater, like the backstage guys, they all wear black so that they aren't seen, you know? And when you do that and everybody's just kind of sinking into the shadows, right? It just makes everything come to life.
2: Yeah, and, and, and it, it makes it, and just, it, it's amazing how jarring, like visually and mentally, it can almost be. You're, uh, you're trying to set this gothic horror scene, and somebody's, uh, you know, sitting there in a baseball fan t-shirt and pair of cut-off shorts. Yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, and, and on a side note, this is one of my personal pet peeves for when I'm GMing. Turn off the damn phones. Yeah. I understand. I mean, you know, we, we play with older people now. It's some, a different era. But... I don't want to be in the middle of some NPC's major exposition to the, po- to the players and suddenly hear the latest top 40 ringtone.
1: Well, I mean, I think that a lot of people turn off ringtones. I think that's like fairly well known at this point. What bothers me is the way people uh, manipulate the phone constantly. And especially if you're going to be playing Vampire in the dark by candlelight, people with their screens on all the time, that's just going to completely kill like all this work that you're putting into the mood. So, you know... It's not too much to ask to say like, look, we're going to take regular breaks at this thing, but especially cuz when you're doing like really in-depth role playing, remember how back in the day we used to, we used to have to take breaks it was just so it's so intense. And then you'd like Oh yeah. need a few minutes to kind of cool off or whatever and then you oh, come yeah. back to the situation and like, you know, can pick it up where you left off. So just say, "Hey, we're going to take regular breaks, and I'd really appreciate it if we keep the chatter about outside shit to a minimum and um, no phones." You know, because that's another thing I, di- I discovered is that, like, there was a time when we were playing Vampire a lot, but, but there were a lot of people who were really into Warhammer 40k. And so people would want to sit at the table and talk Warhammer 40k while Vampire's trying to go on. And that was fucking death to mood. So it's like, can we keep the outside table talk to a minimum? And phones on breaks. Now, w- when Jeff's talking about soundtracks, I always just do soundtracks. This is super mood enhancing. And I don't do it so much in fantasy because fantasy music is so balls. It's always like this Renaissance Fair, like, fucking, like, jigs and shit. And it's just, like, it just takes you to somewhere super corny. Um, But if you can find music, we live in a golden era for this now. Because back in the day, this is the 90s, Gustavo, I would sit around. I would, over the course of the week, I would make these CD playlists. And I would have all the tracks written down with what scene I wanted to play them for. And I would put them into a CD player and play them on repeat until the, until the song was until either the scene was over or until I thought the song had like gotten so monotonous and like just drilled in people's heads that I had to turn it off. Um, and you played it like an adequate volume that isn't going to disrupt role playing. But now we live in the age of Spotify. Where you can, you have like a bazillion songs just at your fingertips. You have like every fucking soundtrack to every fucking movie you can think of, just like right in there. You can make these in-depth playlists. The songs never need to repeat. You can do. I mean, the fine tuning for the mood enhancements that you get through music can be like laser focused at
2: this point. You know, it's true. You know, and I, I agree. I when I was running my long-term Masquerade game. I would spend the entire week between games, like thinking about the scenes that were likely to occur for the next session, um, preparing the music for me. Or sometimes someone does something so out there that you just suddenly have to take a short break for a second and suddenly a piece of musical hit your hit your mind. Like, Oh, this person's just done this and open up this whole new scene. I need to put on this CD. But with now with, with the digital music, the way it is yeah, so much easier so much easier to create playlists. Um, One thing I'm experimenting with for, and I haven't had a chance to run this yet, but basically just attaching my laptop or my iPod to my home theater system. Yeah. Having it off to the side of me and just being able to cue up whatever music I want from everything from the most basic, like stormy night sound effects, like tracks right up to, you know, pumped up kind of heavy rock or something for a fight scene.
1: See, I don't know about sound effects.
2: I I feel like
1: sound effects be taking it too far. That's just me though. That's just me, like 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 breaking glass and stuff like that. Like a sound no no no, I,
2: I'm talking like the like you have those like stormy nights where it's just kind of like the wind blowing and rain and thunder every so often. That, that could can- be
1: good. That could really work. I could totally see that. Yeah, for sure. Also, look at the, if you haven't already, look at the Sicario soundtrack for World of Darkness. Fucking so bomb so bomb anyway um that's my little tip to all you world of darkness fanatics out there who use soundtracks so gustavo's second question and it's very very brief you can answer it very quickly uh have you guys ever played the game paranoia the question is the question my answer is no i have not
0: uh i i think that there was a game that i almost played in when we were kids but i didn't actually play in it for some <laughs> reason i couldn't go out that night or something. so no like that. yeah no. So no i haven't <laughs> no i have okay. not
2: uh, I've played a few times back when I was in college. My the dorm I lived in, a group of us would just kind of rotate games every Friday night, and we played Paranoia a few times. It was a lot of fun. I keep it's one of those games I keep wanting to kind of pick up a copy of it, but I'm not sure that I'm the right temperament to ever run it. I, I had a ton of fun playing it.
1: I am not the type of, the temperament to play it or run it. I mean, it's just not. It's just not. I mean, it's a humor game, and I like drama games. It's something no, humor there's nothing wrong with humor games, but it's a humor game, and I like drama games. And it's short term. It's like meant for one shots, right? Right. And I'm a am a campaign guy. I'm a I, guy. I mean,
2: theoretically, there's a campaign mode you could do for it. I've never, never played in a paranoia <laughs> campaign. It was always one-shots. I never even heard of that before. I mean, yeah, I, it was always one shots. I yeah, always it just
1: seems like one shots. Anyway, uh, so Gustavo, get at us. Let us know what's, what's your thoughts on paranoia. You play. All right, man. So, good job, guys. Thank you for. Uh, Contributing your wisdom.
0: Thanks for uh, contributing the questions to our uh, our listeners out there. We uh, we'll uh, start saving up for the next mailbag. We get a bunch of decent amount of questions here.
1: Yeah, indeed.
2: Thanks for inviting me, tonight, guys. It was fun doing this mailbag.
1: Oh, but Jeff, you are always welcome to this table, man. You are great, and uh, your episode just came out. We got some, we got some good feedback.
0: Yeah, uh, now people are starting to get an idea for who Jeff is. He's maybe a little bit less mysterious than he was before that.
1: Jeff is super mysterious. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This guy is. This guy is fucking Highlander mysterious. All right. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for your questions. I've had a great time. Have a good night.
0: This
1: is Brendan from FMRPG. And I just wanted to jump in real quick before we let you go and say that uh, Ben and I have been doing some talking. We've been going through our backlog of episodes, and we realize that six weeks is just an insane and crazy backlog. And we have a lot of content that we want to get to you guys uh, sooner rather than later. And so to that end, we are going to be switching up our format a little bit for the next few weeks. We'll be releasing an episode a week. Uh, through mid-March 2016 so um, the plan is to revert to the twice a month format after we've caught up with ourselves a little bit but for the next six weeks we'll have an episode a week so we hope that you'll come and join us we hope that you'll enjoy kind of catching up with us on some of uh, the material that we've recorded for you we're very excited about it we hope that you are too and now we'll resume our program as usual Tonight we had music supplied by Region. the track is Missile Plans, and our bumper was provided for us by Lowe, the track is Stockholm Syndrome, Full RPG supports a number of different social medias, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are available on iTunes, so if you took a listen to the episode tonight and you enjoyed it, please do consider stopping in and giving us a review. That would be killer. All right, thank you so much for your tireless devotion, cultists. Have a good night.